Welcome to another podcasting episode of Bob Around Town. It's Bob Peters out and about, exploring mid-Michigan from an inside perspective. And now, here's your host, Bob Peters. Today, great guest I've got coming in here. So we have State Representative Jerry Nyer. He's a freshman state representative with us. First elected to the Michigan House of Representatives last year in November of 2022. He is serving the 92nd House District. Now that's parts of uh, Gratiot, Isabella counties. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. Jerry serves as a Republican vice chair of the House Agricultural Committee. Also serves on insurance, financial service, regulatory reform committees. Uh, his management leadership skills allow him to make tough decisions that people rely on. He's really pushed the things for us. He's committed to building a better future for Michigan and our region by working to support and protect families and children by developing a model of state government that's more efficient and accountable to the people it rep- represents. So, Jerry hasn't been a politician his whole life, have you, Jerry? No, not really. Welcome, Jerry <laughs> Nyer to Bob Around Town. Yeah. Thank you for being here today, Jerry. Um, it says here you've been spending the last 30 years working at your family's dairy farm. Yep. Uh, you started when you were 11? Uh, really before that. <laughs> I my know. Folk, my, my folks were dragging me out there at before 6 in the morning to help feed calves before I hopped on the bus and had probably about 20 minutes after I got off the bus to get out and do evening chores. So, yeah, grew up that way. Uh Went off the farm for a little while when I was in my early 20s and then came back and uh, spent time, the rest of the time there working on the dairy. We need to go away to understand how good it is where we were, correct? Right. You know, we do that quite a bit, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you're a hardworking man. Farmers are hard workers, right? Yeah. Y- you've got uh, dairy cows. Now, I'm going to be dumb here a little bit because we talked about this at the summertime when I was mil- milking my first cow, right? Right. <laughs> Gave me a little bit of tip, came in second place, still upset about that at the contest. And, and, but you have 150 cow. We don't call them cattle. They're cows, right? Well, it's, it's uh, yeah, 150 cows that we have on the farm, approximately 100 cows milking. But then okay. we also, we're diverse uh, these days as in agriculture, you have to be. Uh, we also raise young stock or heifers, uh, replacement cows for other dairy operations. So there's probably another 500 animals starting from uh, just a couple weeks old till they're two years old and ready to have their first calf that we're raising. And then that my brother and nephew are currently running the operation since I ran off to do this project. And now uh, they've also run a custom harvesting service where they're chopping hay and corn for other farms and that takes them you know halfway down to Lansing and clear over into the thumbnail. So opposed to them your hands are cleaner and your back feels a lot better doesn't it Jerry? (laughs) Yeah and I still can't break the schedule there I'm still waking up at four in the morning uh, just because it's old habit. Well you've got a long drive to work every day too don't you? Yeah, well, it's only an hour, and a lot, of, and it doesn't take long when you are on the phone talking to the various people to absorb that hour. So, right, it's sort of work on the fly. So let's talk real quick. We're going to get into you know some issues here, and we're really going to get into it. But Jerry, you've went from a farmer. Now you you have dabbled a little bit as a lobbyist or activist, I should say, not maybe not a lobbyist, but an activist for farmers. What made you take that next step and say, I really want to make a difference? <laughs> Um, just being involved in it over the years and seeing the needs of our community, there's a lot of lack of representation 
from the rural communities down there. And I was seeing an opportunity there that some of the other people that were running for the seat did not have. And I really wanted to advocate for, for my people in my district. And I thought I had the skills for it. Uh, my wife and I sort of just set goals. We'll, we'll start out here. If we meet our goals and we feel like things are going well, we'll just keep on pushing our way through the election. And it worked out that way. We were, I was connecting well with the people. I understood, uh, my goals were basically the same as my constituents' goals, and uh, they they must have thought I'd, I I uh, was uh, talking their language, and I ended up down there in Lansing. Uh, so it was uh, just one of those things where I learned enough from working on the other side of the table, advocating for the community, advocating for agriculture, <laughs> that I knew uh, what I had to do to make it work and to, and to win. And so that's how we sort of ran the program. Knocked on a lot of doors, didn't you? Yeah. Last uh, year, yeah. 10,000 plus. You remember how we met first time? Your door. You knocked at <laughs> yeah. my door and I didn't even yeah. know who Jerry was at that yeah. point. You know, no. I just learned a little bit and, and you know, I got a lot of opinions, a lot of things and I probably got after you on that first day a little bit. Yep. So I apologize for that, Jerry. No, but you know, I, I want to test people and see if they're good or not. Yeah, right. Well, and I was expecting that, and yeah. I mm-hmm. I learned I learned to be prepared to answer questions, and but I never varied from my course. You know, I I knew I learned how to answer questions better, not necessarily answering it the way people wanted to hear it. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, they're keeping you busy in Lansing right now, right? Yes. Got a few things going on, and and we're going to segue into a couple of things because. We really have one topic to talk about, but it's a big topic that we can go on forever, and then we're going to hit some other things as well, too. So uh, I, I was prepped. We're going to talk about House Bill number, you know, we're going to confuse people, 4759, 4760, 4761. We're going to find out why there's three bills for really one thing as I'm reading this. But we're looking at changing the way we get our energy in the state of Michigan. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, mandating the way mandating. we get our we're energy. We're being forced. Right. Okay. Tell us a little bit of background behind this, because I think this is these aren't really new House bills. If I'm correct, are these addendums to a past bill that had certain requirements for our energy companies and whatnot to get yep. done by, what, 2025, correct? Right. Now they want to extend that to 2035? Well, n- not only that, they also want to extend the percentage of renewable energies that's in the portfolio to 100%. Right now we're sitting at 15 is our goal. And we have 12 years to go. Yes. How are we going to do it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how can we do it if we do it? And how impossible is it? How's that one, Jerry? Yeah. Well, uh, they want to they wanna push the wind turbine and solars um, without expanding natural gas and eliminating coal. And, uh, and they go back and forth on whether they want nuclear in the package. Uh, which we're only down to, I think, one plant in the state. <laughs> so, uh, it, so it's, and a lot of this is good in theory, but hasn't been proven in practice yet. Uh, and when you're looking with solar, uh, obviously we're looking out the window here today, and it's mostly cloudy. It's only got a 20, maybe 25% efficiency on a daily average. And then wind turbines uh, is around 30 to 35. Uh, so there's going to have to be a lot of land that's going to have to be converted from whatever it's being presently used for 
into another into energy production or electrical production. State of Michigan, probably one of the top ten. Not probably, it's one of the top ten cloudiest states in the union. You know, because of our our location. Yep. We, you know, we do know that that's fact as well too. Did a little bit of research. So so we're talking. We have a lot of wind energy here. You know, uh, I, I tried to look up how many wind turbines do we have in, in, in Isabella and Gratiot County. I don't know if you know that. I couldn't find that one number that told me how many, but I looked at the different operations. Yeah. And, and we're well into the hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds. Yeah, right? there's, you know, there's uh, I think, right around 300 or more that are in between, in between the southern edge of uh, Coe Township and up there through Beale City, Rosebush, and onto the line. Uh, and... Uh, and it's you know quite an extensive part, and it it's, it seems to be working well, but these are relatively new units yet. The average life expectancy on these ones here is around twenty five years, and to go in and maintenance them is isn't uh, an easy job. And it takes a very extensive job to go in and service those units. But but Jerry, we're being told that this this generates a new industry, new jobs for us. Is that correct? Or not temporarily. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the and uh, the politicians have done a good job of shifting the numbers around, but the way they're counting them is a, a group of jobs for one year. So some of these thousands of jobs, they're counting them over and over again every year. So many create over every year. So those numbers are are inflated slightly, uh, to say the least. And uh, and. They're mostly related to construction and in putting the infrastructure. Once the once the uh, units are up and running, uh, the the labor requirements until they have to go in there and service them majorly there is is relatively low. But they're very expensive to build, and we we saw even the in- infrastructure in Isabella County that had to be changed. I mean, I mean, they had to make roads or, or bends in the roads just to be able to get that equipment there because it's so large, right? Yeah, and upgrading the yeah, roads. And upgrading there. it so, cost money as well, too. Yeah. So. so, you know, you know that's there now. But, but, yeah, bringing in one of those cranes just to go up there and swap out a, a uh, generation unit or make, or make some type of major service call on those things is going to take, take, a, take a lot of work and take a lot of time and money. So, okay, so we have these three bills that are uh, came out in mid-June uh, by a couple of uh, uh, people from uh, really southeast Michigan is what yeah. it looked like. Yeah. Uh, maybe one in Traverse City as well, too. Big news last night. We recorded this on October 22nd, but on uh, 27th, rather, I should say. On October 26th, you said a lot happened, and, and we're going to talk about how does this really correlate with Senate bills 271 through 277. And tell me what happened last night on October 26th. Well, I'll start out with the, the House bills. The first one that's really got uh, our local officials up in arms and, uh, and is, uh, uh, I can't remember the first number okay. there, but it, it has to do with uh, the taking over zoning, taking away the ability to zone these things in areas. So the state would be running that as opposed to our local townships or county we have to develop a new commission too i understand yeah right? and yeah. that yeah, okay. it would be a third three person council picked by the governor that would be deciding where these new solar f- solar farms and wind turbines would be sited now did i also read that our public service commission would be eliminated 
uh, it would be downgraded, downgraded. or changed. Okay. Uh, you know, it would, and it would be mostly administered from, you know, the governor's side. Legislature would have very little in, input on how this council would be run. There we go. We have three bills. You talk to me about one. Okay. Why do we need three bills for all of this? Let's talk about the other two. Well, they're a blend. One is dealing with changing our energy or electricity production and turning that over to renewable. And then the the last one is dealing with carbon or zero carbon emissions. So while we recognize that we'll still be able to use gas or natural gas as production or as a source of fuel to license a new plant or upgrade a new plant is going to be a bureaucratic nightmare for whoever's trying to put it in. And they're going to be asked to upgrade these machine upgrade these power plants to a to a 90% efficient or 90 90% zero emissions. And so no car so anything that burns a flame emits carbon and and re, so we're going to have to figure out be very ex, at this point here it's looking very expensive to do the technology is not quite there to get to 90% that's at some point uh, by 2040 they want to have basically a 10 less than or less than a 10% emission from a gas fired plant so i'm an old guy jerry 2040 is 17 years from now right I remember 17 years ago. <laughs> I, 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 it's really hard for me to fathom how the state of Michigan, with the budget they have and the numbers that they work with all the time, how are we going to be able to do this and take care of all this and have all these businesses do these complete changeovers? I mean, do they have enough time to work with, you know, if this is mandated? Is this... Again, how realistic is this to get this done in 17 years? I, in my opinion difficult a lot of things that they're asking for the technology isn't there is very expensive if you want to get it so that puts an additional cost on it there uh how this is regulated or managed is yet to be determined and and watching the listening and watching to the hearings and, and so forth it's hard to pin down anybody an exact number of what it's going to cost the percentage it's going to need or if it's achievable it sounds like it is but we don't have uh, they talk about one of the, they mentioned in their storage capabilities, storing electricity. We, there isn't a system out there that I've seen yet that can store electricity on a massive scale. And we're just talking here in these bills about just getting there. We're not talking about expanding when we're getting pushed into the EV realm and, and talking about degassing homes and going all electric on your heat, on your cooking uh, we're adding more load onto the, onto our utility lines. There, we haven't, we don't have, we barely got the infrastructure there right now to maintain what we have. There is no plan in here yet to tell us how we're going to upgrade our facilities or our infrastructure to accommodate the growth in electricity that we're that they want us to do here. You're a farmer. What what changes would it make for you, and how much more electricity would you be using than Jerry? And how are you going to make that change change over? You know, as somebody who also does business, right? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm dairy operation. We we got to have we use a lot of gas to uh, f to uh, to heat and run our 
wash facilities, and that's, you know, we're just a small operation, relatively speaking. We're only milking 100 cows. You go into these large multi-thousand cow operations, they're using gas on all kinds of different levels, whether it's heating their water, uh, warming the floors inside the parlor, things like that. Uh, But then when you go to a grain operation, massive dryers dependent upon natural gas or LP to dry their grain this time of year. And the same, and then you want to try and electrify uh, a fleet of tractors uh, or combines, and uh, already you know, you're going to take in more than double the price of that piece of equipment and make it more difficult to run. You're going to put a charging station out in the field? <laughs> it, well, there's been a couple of stories about, and and the companies are working for them, both both uh, John Deere, New Holland, Bent. They're all working on some type of uh, electric vehicle there and they can make it they can make it work but they don't have the ability to make that thing run 24 7 yet this time of year when you're out there harvesting your crops or when you go out there planting their crops you're trying to compete with the weather and trying to get things yes. done in a timely manner you don't have time to run it for six or seven hours and then wait for another 12 hours to charge that unit up you got to be going 24 7 and that's and they don't that's just the impracticality of using it we have no idea what they're going to ask for for one of those machines uh once you electrify it there a couple of things i'm reading here even even house bill 4761 uh extent uh to which the energy waste reduction plan provides programs that reduce energy burdens and improve affordability can we do both of those at the same time <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of programs out at the federal level that are, that do that, but it's only paying for a partial conversion. You're still the the consumer still paying for the majority of those upgrades. Um, so it, when you're when you're starting out with a new facility or you're ready to upgrade something, it's worth looking at. It's worth benefit to do, but to sit there and man or to sit there and say, well, you got to get your building to zero fresh do zero efficiency or 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 a zero emissions at some point there and mandating that not every certain large businesses are going to struggle medium sized and small businesses are are going to be really put up against the line if they're going to start mandating how much how much how efficient their operations have to be well we have different scale of economies with small businesses you know like ourselves here with latitude media very small business you know we don't generate a lot of revenue you know like a lot of business so when we were looking at that you know and and we don't use a lot of carbon or or, you know really have a lot of carbon we have a station vehicle this and that everything else we use but our electricity demand is very high here you know (laughs) we use a lot of that uh a little research there's Let's talk solar farms, you know, um, and, and how efficient are they or not. I, I really don't know. I, I looked into it. Lapeer has a solar farm. It's 250 acres, okay? They say that is able to help about 11,000 households, okay? Again, you know, it, it seems like that's, that's a third of a, of a square mile <laughs> taking care of 11,000 households, which is probably a square mile in an urban setting, not yeah. here, obviously. But again, you were talking about it. What's happening? Because we're going to be using farmland for solar energy, correct? Yeah. What's the connection there, and how is that going to affect us? Well, unfortunately, you know, we're you're looking at using 
land that say they say it's undeveloped. In my opinion, agriculture is probably the most needed resource in there. You can't grow you can't grow food on cement very easily Correct. or very inexpensively. Right. Yes, <laughs> um, and so we're making a trade off, and they're talking anywhere's at, to start just to meet the goals in the first few years. They're talking like three percent of our till of our tillable land in the state would go would be needed to use for agriculture or for solar, and I've seen numbers going clear up to eighteen to twenty percent. You know of of land mass to to take out of production. Uh, yeah, you can, but and they're saying, well, you don't necessarily need to use your best soils. Well, those soils are typically in areas where it's not fully exposed or it doesn't get a whole lot of sunlight. Your best ground is your open flat ground, and that's typically our best soils in the state. Now, I don't begrudge a person that has land and and is looking for another source of income to be doing that. That's their right. That's their choice. But um, it's you're, we're playing a dangerous game, swapping out what we need to eat for what we need to power ourselves. And we, when we have other sources to do that, and more efficient sources, you know, you, you're only getting, on average, from the numbers I've been seeing about 20% efficiency out of a solar field a day. You get 20% production. Uh, so, and so it's it's not, when you compare that to a gas-fired plant which has the proper emissions on it there, tell me which one's giving you the most bang for your buck. Um, but, you know, I'm not telling, you know, I'm not against putting up solar. I think it's an excellent opportunity for some people, but it's not, that solar alone and wind turbines alone isn't what's going to, uh, in a state like Michigan with the variance in, in terrain and topography in the area, solar's not going to be the answer. We're, we're not in Arizona where we get daylight. <coughs> and then we're also, what do you do, a farmer when they have a disaster year when the crops either fail because of too much water or too much uh or because of a, a a tornado comes through and and rips up the ground, uh, you can recover from that, and it's just that farm that's affected, or that area it's affected. <clears throat> what do you do when a tornado comes through, or a high windstorm comes through and destroys your solar field, and you're affecting literally thousands of people immediately? And how fast can you recover from that? It depends on your insurance company, correct? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but it's one thing to order a solar pan or yeah. a solar array for a house. It's another thing to do something that's you know a uh, hundred acres or right. so with the solar right. fields. You know, that's those are some of the unanswered questions of what we do. And another thing that they're <coughs> back, they're going back and forth on there uh, is uh, using renewable gas sources. Whether you're getting it off of a uh, uh, a um, where you, your waste goes to often those um, uh, facilities there, <coughs> and or else are you looking at getting these biodigesters on farms that are sequestering this methane gas that's being created in your trash dumps and in your farms there, 
they're debating on whether or not that is natural, natural or is zero emissions stuff and should be used to generate electricity. They don't. It's difficult to get them permitted. Fortunately, in the bills that was passed last night in the Senate on their green energy bills, they appeared to recognize those sources. But the bureaucracy to get a biodigester up and running is as daunting as it is now. It's very daunting now. There's several online that are waiting for uh, Eagle to permit, and they're they're working through the process. You know, what do we do in the future when we want to create more of those to capture that methane and burn it and use it to make electricity? And we're getting boondoggled in the bureaucracy and not getting those things permitted. We're you know we're just cutting. We're we're focusing in on a couple of sources. We're not taking advantage of our whole energy package with these bills. We're narrowing our focus. No and, longer diversified. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and of course that all means in the end, our our electricity bills. They're not even arguing it anymore. They know our electricity bills are going to go up, and and it's going to hurt. Uh, the people with the smallest income first, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, those are the people that are going to feel the hurt first. And there's, what do you, what do you do for them then? Well, you know, a lot of these bills have it written in that it's, it's re- really here to help people who are in the lower income brackets to help them have better and cleaner <laughs> energy. Would that come from taxpayers then? Basically. Okay. Yeah. They, <clears throat> there's talk about creating some type of funding there for, uh, the economical disadvantage or economically disadvantaged people, or uh, and so, <clears throat> but then again, you know, it's it's the rest of the people that are paying taxes that are going to pick up that bill. And I understand not everybody who has a gas stove right now can immediately convert to electric. It costs money mm-hmm. because you're even changing a little bit of your infrastructure in your own home. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, is that something that we have to be concerned about? Because we hear that on a national. Yeah. <clears throat> well, if they try and mandate it, yeah. yeah it's, right. it, and who, who's going to pay the freight when somebody can't co- convert? Um, you know, I'm not against going, trying to get ourselves as clean as possible here. But we can't, we can't sit there and move at such a rate and make such demands that it, it bankrupts us in the process. You know, we're trying to protect the environment, but really these bills don't clean up the environment. We just shift where the pollution's at because these solar panels got to come from someplace, and very few of them are being produced here in this, this country. They're coming, the resources and materials are coming from overseas in areas where their regulations are far more slack in conditions and you know, and well, we'll stop using fuel here. They're just going to increase their fuel production over there to bring the materials over here to sell us. Well, you're leading me to the other question, Jerry. We're in the state of Michigan. We're, we're a pinpoint on the globe, right? So if we make all these changes and other countries and even other states don't make those changes, how much of a difference are we going to make? None. I know. We're just <laughs> transferring right. where the pollution's at. This isn't a global effort. Michigan, you know, and a few other states are leading the way there, or trying to lead the way into what they think is going to be a better environment, but really we're just shifting where it's happening at. You know, what, what, kind of, what kind of shape is, is Michigan in as a state fiscally at this point? Well, 
we did at the beginning of the year have a $9 billion surplus. Okay. Uh, that has been spent. Where, uh, did, where did we put that money? Uh, all over. Okay. And, and not very wisely. Uh, most of it, and I don't mean to uh, disparage my, uh, my fellow uh, lawmakers there, but most of it is uh, south of, nine, of 69 is where all that money was spent. Very little of it made up this way there. It went to a lot of pet projects. It went to building battery plants. Uh, a couple, or about $3 billion of it went to various battery plants to help, get, to help bribe them into the state, for lack of a better word. Because our economic situation wasn't good enough, we had to, we had to sweeten the pot to bring in this business, as opposed to being just a very good, very friendly business state. We, we had to draw them in. I'm not a big fan of uh, giveaways for corporations there. Uh, it's when we're not taking care of our own local people here, giving them the breaks that's, that we're doing to bring in on some other people. But anyways, going back, yeah, it went to that. Uh, several pet projects throughout various districts. Uh, some road funding. Uh, they did spend uh, $81 million in road funding. Pickard but, Road, yay! Pickard yeah, Road. Well, Pickard, <laughs> yeah, but that was already on the schedule. I've been bugging Roger Hauk about that for six years. Yeah, <laughs> that was already on the schedule. That yep, was going to happen, but this is going. Most of it's going downstate. Very little of it's coming back to the local municipalities, to our county and our and our township road commissions. So you know they're not seeing it, what very little bump they're getting. Is probably not keeping in in pace with inflation. Jerry, when we're looking at these energy bills, I'm just wrap around real quick. We've got these house bills. Where are they at within your your meetings and, and you know you're talking? When are, when are there going to be more votes coming up? Okay, well, Senate passed their series of bills, and sorry, I forget their numbers. Uh, two seventy one through two seventy seven. I get yep. yeah, yeah, yep. yep. They 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 went All through last passed. night. Okay, uh, it appears that they did not bring any zoning issues with within that so that's been left out uh so this is this is the the renewable energies and the green under and the green and the zero emissions plan is in place there and to be to be that far by 2050 with zero with zero emissions uh carbon emissions and then uh this the house has competing ones which theirs and our house includes the zoning issue there they passed a committee this past week and or last week, and they're going to the floor probably within the next two weeks. That's fast. Yeah. Nobody really has time to think about it at that point, do they? No. I mean, this was just the, the, the House bills I saw were presented in June. Yeah. Here we are just, you know, four months later, and I have 100 pages of bills right here in front of me. Just trying to read those are brutal and trying to figure out the separation between all of those. Okay. So... Let's do this, okay? Let's say it passes, Jerry, okay? What happens if we don't hit those goals in 2040, 2050? That's the unanswered question yet. You know, who are they going to penalize? You know, are they going to penalize the uh, energy companies for doing that? Are they going to penalize, or are they going to try and raise taxes on gas somehow and, and raise the fees on that to help finance getting some of these projects through. What happens if they can't accumulate enough ground 
to put all these solar and wind projects on. What 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 are they going to do at that point? There are they going to try and uh, do some takings and and put them up where they feel that it's fit? We don't know that yet. When we were told when these bills were introduced back in June, we were told that this was going to be a long project. They're going to take a long time and get everybody's input there. There's been a real lack of taking input from people and just a few key players and being the minority. Uh, we don't know all the people that was involved with it until after the fact. And, uh, you know, it's, it's I a, have their names right here. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but we do have a lot of those, you know. But, you know, I, again, I agree with you, Jerry. You know, we, we do need to do, make a couple of changes here and there, but how drastic, how fast, how expensive, you know, yeah. uh, it's going to be very difficult to do, especially in the state of Michigan, you know, as we're seeing a, a decline in population. Yeah, and, you know, it's, <coughs> you, know, you know, we're not against cleaning up our environment and being as good as stewards who can there, but we still got to feed, clothe, and, and, uh, our, and, uh, give ourselves a house there at a reasonable cost yeah, there. Right. We can't sit there and say, well, we'll, we'll just, there'll be the state's responsibility to help those people out that don't have the resources to do it there. That money's eventually got to come from somebody there. If we can slow this thing down, make changes as the technology proves itself out there, as the costs come down, as opposed to making this bums rush into it here and paying the highest dollar for technology that we're not 100% sure of yet, or even 50% sure of yet, uh, that's that's the mistake that we're making right now. And we uh, we just need to take this at a smarter, slower pace and allow us allow the technology to evolve to the point where we don't need government to finance it. I, I, I don't know how a lot of businesses are going to be able to, you know, deal with this in a, in a period of time, short period of time of that 12 to 17 years. Jerry, you said in a couple of weeks we're going to know more about these house bills, right? Keep us posted on that. I'll will do you? my best. You know, have Armani come after us, and, and we'll <laughs> talk about and find out those results as well, too. We talked a lot about energy, but you had a couple other things on your agenda, too, didn't you, Jerry? What do you got? Well, just, uh, you know, we got a, we got a elect, elections coming up here, and so there's been a lot of changes in that, uh, the way our elections are going to be run uh, as a result of Prop 2. And some of these changes that are coming are going to push our election integrity and security to its limit. Um, they, they've removed the ability to challenge a ballot or made that much more difficult. They've expanded the number of days that you can vote, and now the clerks have the ability, the clerks will have the ability to extend it beyond the nine days that we have there, started even earlier if they feel, and then uh, the ability, Security on drop boxes is questionable right now because it's it it's unclear on how those should be handled, uh, and it also goes along with the chain of custody. So, I really encourage people if they have an interest in elections, there talk to their clerks, become an election worker, if not, become a poll watcher and sort of watch and go to get some training done. You can consult with your clerks, you can consult with your local party, uh, Democrat or Republican get involved in that and be a part of that. And so that way we can be assured Michigan as a whole, especially up in this area here, takes great pride in their security. We, we need to be on top of the game this time there. So that way our elections run, run a, a smoother because this isn't the same game as what it was the last 
election with Prop 2 has changed a lot, and we're gonna, this is going to be very important that we uh, do what we can as citizens to be involved in that process and to help it make sure it runs well. If this changes, would it change prior to our <laughs> primary that was moved up three months? Well, <laughs> let's talk about that primary, February okay. 27th at this point. But you said it may. Well, right now, in order for that to take effect before this year's pr- or next year's primary, we have to have we have to close out session because the maneuver that the Senate Republicans did, they weren't able to get immediate effect on that bill that moved up the primary. So in order for it to get immediate effect, we have to end the session. So this is the reason why we're looking at the next two to three weeks of pushing a lot of these bills through uh, before the end of the year because by the middle of November, we'll probably have to go what they call sine die or end session. So that way that the 2024 primary can be moved up. Otherwise, well, that will have to be pushed back to the next presidential election. So is it not official that that is the primary date? Because I know we have one millage vote for, for residents within the Mount Pleasant Public School District that they are planning on that vote on February 27th. Yeah. Would so that change anything for them? That would, ch- that would change things for them, too. You know, that, wow. would, that would be all these new rules would be kicking in as well would would kick in at that point why why did michigan why, why did some people want to move it to february 27th uh i you know the governor i think wanted her party to be more relevant in the primary because we weren't first we're the democratic primary were somewhere in the middle there uh she wanted us to have or wanted the state to have more in effect the primary she wants us to be iowa or new hampshire right basically okay you know, and and that presents some challenges to the Republican side because that moves them up and throws them out. So they're making adjustments in order to keep uh, the Republican influence on the primary in there. It's sort of funny, though. We have supposedly already have our nominee on both sides, if you believe the papers there. So why is there such a rush to move up a primary when you already have your sitting president as your primary or as your candidate? You know, how does why would that be such an important thing to do and rush through ego driven that was an opinion right there <laughs> yeah, yeah. nobody Jer- nobody's answered that question no not at all they can't <laughs> so. yeah jerry you're wrapping up your first year give me some quick impressions yeah. um it's a hell of a learning curve uh and it's you know being the minority is a tough situation to be in there uh you don't you you just basically are sitting back watching the show you don't have a whole lot of influence on what happens on the floor you don't have a whole lot of influence on what happens on your committees that being said i am working with some real class people the people that you don't hear about are the best people down there uh and those are the people that i've fallen in with uh these people have had have had or have a life outside of Lansing, so they know what it's like to be a business owner. They know what it's like to work in their community. And those are the people that are down there trying to fight this fight. The news that you're seeing uh, all the time on the TV is just a few people that like to talk a lot, uh, but the real hard workers there are the ones that you don't hear about, and those are the type of people I'd like to keep working with. They're too busy working. Yep. 
they can't complain. But it's but I'm enjoying the opportunity to serve this community. I'm really enjoying the opportunity that's given me to meet things that I didn't know existed in this district, whether it be in Gratiot or Isabella County. There's a lot of cool people. There's a lot of cool businesses, and I'm enjoying the opportunity to go out and hang with them. How's Mrs. Nyer doing? She's <laughs> she's tolerating it well. Good. Uh, she she's very supportive. Very uh, and I I wouldn't have done this without her support. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, giving her the vacation that she's been waiting for this past summer uh, for the past forty years before she knew me. And uh, so that was my big thank you to her there. And I'm not sure how I'm going to top that to convince her to stick with me for the next uh, few years while I'm down this road here. But uh, it's it's something when you get involved in something, especially on this scale, uh, working with the public there, it's a family operation. you got to have family buy-in. I'm very fortunate to have that. And you have the passion, Jerry. Thanks. Get her done. Thank you very much, Jerry Nyer. Thank you for the opportunity. You've got We're going to talk again. We're going to get some updates on this. Another edition of Bob Around Town. Uh, yeah, we've had Roger Hauk, Jerry Nyer. Oh, my God. Am I getting political? No, we're going to talk about some other things coming up soon, too. Okay? Thank you for this edition. Jerry Nyer, the 92nd House Representative for Isabella and Gratiot Counties. Thank you very much for being here. Next year, we're going to expect a lot more out of him because he'll be a sophomore. Right? <laughs> We'll try. You got it. Thank you very much. That's Bob Around Town. Thank you for listening to Bob Around Town's weekly podcast. The views and opinions heard on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those views and opinions of Latitude Media, our sponsors, our affiliates, or My1043 and Buck92 Radio. Check out our website for even more podcasts from around the area. Just go to MyMichiganPodcast.com. It's podcasting that matters.